This is BMO Smarter Investing for August 2023. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Gucieri, and Jennifer Lee for trends and forecasts across the economic landscape so you can make more thoughtful investment decisions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sal Gucieri, and joining me is Douglas Porter, chief economist, to discuss recent progress on the inflation front that opens the door for a potential soft landing of the economy. That's something investors have been pining for since the day central banks began what has turned out to be one of the most aggressive tightening cycles in decades. Doug, for the first time in two years, it seems like the inflation news is surprising on the upside in both Canada and the U.S. What do you attribute this shift of fortune to? Well, I think if we look back, you could argue that anything that could have gone wrong globally on the inflation front pretty much went wrong for 18 months, and now we're heading in the opposite direction for the large part. We'll get into more later on what's not going right right now. But first of all, of course, we had energy prices come off of their extreme peaks in 2022, and I think that was the single biggest item. We also had, you know, a lot of the worst issues on the supply chain correct. For instance, if we look at the uh, New York Fed's measure of supply chain pressures, they're actually lower than normal. So the supply chain is actually working in general better than it normally would now. So a lot of things like prices for furniture and appliances and cars that just exploded higher in 21 and 22, they've actually gone into reverse. You know, for instance, if we look at the Canadian numbers, furniture and appliance prices are actually down from a year ago, which is more normal, by the way. So a lot of the extremes have have gone into reverse. We've even seen a little bit of moderation in food price inflation. It's not not to be mistaken here, it's not as if grocery prices are falling or anything, but they're just not rising as quickly as they had been. So essentially, a lot of things have gone right. And and maybe perhaps more fundamentally, we have seen somewhat cooler consumer spending growth globally. And I think that's taken a little bit of the edge off of inflation, not just here in North America, but even in countries like the UK, where they've really been challenged by by very high inflation. And then, of course, we've got the most extreme case, which is China, which is actually now dealing with a light version of deflation, where consumer prices have actually declined from a year ago. So it's it's quite broadly based. It's not just in the Canadian or U.S. economy. We're seeing quite a global pullback in inflation. And, and of course, to get something like that, you need a lot of things to go right, which is what we've seen in the last six to 12 months. It does seem that some of the earlier run-up inflation was uh, indeed temporary perhaps just a lot longer lasting than anyone thought at the time. And you mentioned some of those factors, the disruptions to uh, supply chains and the spike in resource prices, energy in particular, uh, which got a second leg up due to the Ukraine war. And I think as well, uh, we're just finally seeing those lagged effects of rate increases, finally slowing uh, demand, which was running simply too hot due to the massive monetary and fiscal stimulus in place in 2021 and early last year. Doug, despite the rapid decline in headline inflation, do you still believe that further progress will be harder to come by? I completely believe that. I think essentially the easy part of the fight is over. You know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of it was just gasoline prices backing off of their extremes in the supply chain improving. But now getting from essentially what's close to 3% in both Canada and the US and, and still higher in Europe is going to be a lot tougher. For instance, even if we just look at ex-food and energy prices in, in Canada, they're, they're running at 3.5%. It's higher than that in, in the US. 
know, that's still above where the uh, the Fed or the Bank of Canada would like to see it. And yeah, I think this uh, so-called last mile is is going to be the toughest. In fact, I think what we're going to see in the next couple months is that inflation, headline inflation at least, is likely to back up because we actually had a big decline in gasoline prices last summer and we've actually seen pump prices going in the wrong direction in recent weeks. So like I said, the easy wins are over. In fact, the last I looked, uh, gasoline prices in both Canada and the U.S. are now essentially unchanged if we're looking at the daily numbers or unchanged from where they were a year ago. Just as recently as June, they were down more than 20% from a year ago. That's a big swing against us. So in the next couple months, we're actually going to see the headline inflation numbers back up. A lot of people have been talking about the base effects and how great the base effects have been, the so-called base effects and bringing down inflation. Well, those so-called base effects are about to work against us. In other words, the comparisons to a year ago are now going to get very challenging. And so we're actually going to see uh, headline inflation uh, move back up in, in both Canada and the U.S. for the next couple months. So the bottom line is, yeah, I, I still think there are risks out there and we get flashes. You know, we've seen natural gas prices really pick up in Europe just in, in recent days. There's a lot of uncertainty still on food prices, for instance. And of course, we've got uh, lingering pressures on, on the wage front. So not only is there a risk of a short-term backup in inflation here, I'm still concerned that we could see a more lasting backup if, if we got hit with any sort of bad news, like, a, say, a spike in, uh, in oil prices. So the short answer to your question is, yeah, I still think there are, there are some upside risks here. I think back to the early days of the tightening cycle when uh, Fed Chair Powell said, there's no painless way to restore price stability. And, you know, he's so right. I mean, it's very rare through history where you see inflation falling when labor markets are still very tight, as they are in the U.S., and only somewhat less so in Canada. And because of that, now we're seeing a, an upswing in the number of worker strikes that only could reinforce uh, wage pressures and perhaps compel companies to once again pass wage increases to customers. That would risk a wage price spiral that is yet to take root, but would definitely complicate the central bank's job. Now, Doug, despite progress in lowering inflation, central banks have raised rates further this summer due to a resilient demand and healthy labor markets. It seems like policy rates might either need to go higher or at least stay high for a long period. Is that your sense? It is. So our, our official call at this point is that the Bank of Canada and the Fed are probably done raising interest rates. And I would stress the word probably. Full disclosure, earlier this year when the, uh, the Bank of Canada first signaled the pause, we and others and the market, frankly, thought that the Bank of Canada was done. And then when we went through the banking crisis, uh, rate cuts actually got priced in. And of course, those eventually got pushed to the sidelines. But, uh, you know, I think the widespread view for much of the early part of this year is that the, the bank was finished raising interest rates. And lo and behold, they had to go two more times this summer. I think that there are enough signs that the economy actually is beginning to respond to that uh, harsh interest rate medicine. We've seen housing cool again since the bank began raising rates again in June. We have seen headline inflation dip below 3%. There are lots of signs that the job market is is slowing. I think it's very notable that the unemployment rate has risen by six ticks from its low. So it's gone from a, as low as four nine a year ago to five and a half. That's a that's a pretty big move. And so I personally think the Bank of Canada has done enough, and that is our our official call at this point. The market's still got a slight risk of another hike priced in, but I think the big story here is there. I don't think there's going to be a quick come down in rates unless the economy really really weakens, which we're not expecting. I think the big story here is that the bank is going to have to stick to this for a while and that we're likely looking at relatively high interest rates for a fairly extended period of time. 
We do have interest rates starting to come down late in the second quarter of next year. I think the risks to that call is it takes even longer for the bank to start cutting rates. But even when they do begin trimming, I think this is going to be a very slow walk down the mountain because we are going to be left with underlying strong wage pressures and the bank just can't afford to cut rates very aggressively until they're absolutely certain that inflation has been conquered and that it's likely to stay at around 2% or so throughout their forecast horizon. Yeah, I think with rates now um, in restrictive territory and perhaps highly restrictive territory, central banks will likely lean or have a preference toward holding interest rates steady. They just want to limit the recession risks at this point. But I, I would agree. I think you know they both central banks will hold rates high for for a longer period of time just to get some assurance that inflation will return to that two percent target and stay there. So, uh, barring an economic shock, I, I can't see either central bank lowering rates before next spring. Now, Doug, uh, one complicating factor for central banks is that financial conditions have loosened recently due to the rally in equity markets and upturn in home prices, the latter risking renewed pressure on rents. Does this mean interest rates uh, may need to rise further to suppress uh, inflation? Well, and this is why I don't say it with great confidence that the, the bank and the, and the Fed are, are done at this point. And frankly, I think that's one of the reasons why the bank went back to the tightening well, is because financial conditions had loosened again. And of course, we saw that surprising comeback in the Canadian housing market in the first six months of the year. You know, we, we were saying time and time again through the spring when it was pretty obvious that the housing market was uh, stabilizing and starting to actually improve. My mantra was if the most cyclical interest sensitive sector of the economy, housing, was showing a pulse, then, you know, was policy really tight enough? And I think the answer pretty clearly was was no, it wasn't tight enough. I do think this latest uh, round of hikes by both the bank and, and the Fed has uh, thrown a cold blanket or a wet blanket on, on the housing market again. I think we're going to see things soften up for at least, uh, at least a few months here. And, you know, we've got the added benefit of headline inflation coming down. Of course, as I mentioned, the labor market has softened. So I think in combination, that's that's enough. But definitely if financial conditions re-loosen again, I think that's that's what will keep the bank and the Fed with the tightening bias in intact. And frankly, of the two, I think the one that would have the greater concern would uh, would be the Fed. I think if one of the two central banks were to raise interest rates again this year, I think the more likely suspect would be the Fed. And part of that just reflects the fact that the uh, the U.S. markets have been a lot stronger than the Canadian equity markets have been. A lot of that's a tech story. But I would gauge that uh, U.S. financial conditions have actually been even a little bit looser than they've been here in, in Canada. So, And frankly, the U.S. inflation pressures have been a little bit stronger so I think between the two central banks, the more likely one, if you know, if we're missing something here, it's that the, the Fed would probably be more likely than the Bank of Canada hike again. Yeah, I can't agree more. Uh, easing financial conditions are, are clearly a complicating factor for both central banks, but especially the Fed, given that the much stronger uh, rally in, in U.S. equity markets. Our measure, uh, in-house measure of U.S. financial conditions previously was suggesting that uh, tighter conditions would carve a couple percentage points from U.S. GDP growth in the year ahead. And that's why we thought there was some meaningful risk of a more prolonged economic slump. But now that measure is just suggesting about a half percentage point hit to GDP. And that's actually in line with the Fed's new financial conditions index, which suggests about a half percentage point hit to U.S. growth in the year ahead. So good news if you're looking 
or anticipating a softer landing because those looser conditions will support activity to some degree. But they also mean the central banks will may need to hold rates higher for much longer than even we think. And I think in both cases, both central banks will avoid even hinting at easing policy anytime soon for fear that it would end up loosening financial conditions even further and, and making their job even harder. Doug, while central banks were late to the tightening game, uh, they appear to have caught up pretty fast. How would you judge the policy response in this tightening cycle? Well, first of all, from very big picture view, I don't want to armchair quarterback too much here because this was an incredibly unusual cycle that we went through in the in the last three years, and it's pretty easy to, you know, to look back and and to point to the mistakes. But I still think that all central banks, including the Bank of Canada and the Fed, were just too late to get going, and you know that's part of the reason why we're dealing with a real inflation episode. And I really don't want to be too harsh, but the Fed, I think, really missed it, and. I don't feel that bad about saying this because we were saying it back in 2021. To us, it was fairly obvious that North American consumers were only too happy to be spending again and that we were dealing with a pretty serious inflation outbreak even in 2021. And it just made no sense to have rates at ultra stimulative levels. And and I think, you know, all central banks were just too slow to recognize that. To their credit, I, I would assert that the Bank of Canada was actually one of the first central banks in the world to get it. When they actually back off of quantitative easing to stop quantitative easing to, you know, start talking about higher interest rates. And, you know, they were one of the first central banks to get out there and start hiking and, and hiking aggressively early on. And that's perhaps one of the reasons why Canada has been at the lower end of the spectrum in terms of the overall inflation performance in the last three years. So, in a relative race of snails here, I would say the Bank of Canada has actually been has been the winner or been one of the winners. They've done one of the better jobs, I would say overall. So taking the point that they made this mistake in 21 and early 22 to not getting going early, fast enough, I should say, I think since they started tightening, they've actually done a remarkably good job of messaging their way through this. We haven't had a really seriously bad episode in financial markets in one of the most intense tightening cycles that any of us have seen in decades. The economy has stayed on the straight and narrow in, uh, in, in almost all major economies. It's continued to grind ahead and inflation is coming down, you know, albeit a bit late, it is, it is coming down. So I would give, even though they were late to the game, I would give the central banks pretty good marks in the last 18 months in terms of how they handled the tightening cycle and how they messaged their way through it. You know, okay, so they made the big first mistake, but they've done a pretty good job since. So I would I would give them a passing grade, at least since early last year. Similarly, uh, I wouldn't say uh, most central banks fully redeemed themselves after allowing inflation to get out of hand, but I, I would rank the response once they got going as pretty impressive. They ran quickly to catch up to inflation, and now they're slowing to a jog or even a walk to gain time to assess uh, trends in the data and reduce the risk of over-tightening. So if they do pull off a soft landing or even just a mild slump in the economy, all the credit to them. Doug, uh, so far central banks have managed to lower inflation without a recession, uh, and that's raised hopes uh, of a soft landing whereby the economy slumps but avoids a protracted downturn, maybe even sees no landing at all, whereby growth uh, remains sturdy and inflation returns to the target. What odds would you place on these two outcomes, which, which seemed like a pipe dream when central banks began lifting rates early last year 
in the face of uh, low unemployment and high inflation. So if you think back to about a year ago, we actually switched to a recession call, a mild recession call for North America, roughly around this time last year, I think it was September, that we officially changed. And it was partly in recognition of how much the central banks were going to have to raise rates. The fact we were still dealing with very high energy prices, very weak financial markets. I think it's remarkable how well the economies have hung in there in the last year. As I said before, it's a very unique cycle. I think what a lot of us missed was just how resilient the consumer was going to be. The fact they were going to lean on all those savings they built up during the pandemic. And of course, all the pent up demand for travel and entertainment and even things like automobiles. So that's what's got the consumer through. And, you know, and, and the job market generally held up relatively well. I, I talked about the, uh, the backup in the Canadian unemployment rate before, but overall, we're still dealing with very low unemployment rates and, and relatively healthy job markets. And so to your point, the odds of a soft landing are, are much, much higher than they were even six or 12 months ago. I still think, and I'm going to borrow Powell's terminology here, it's likely to be a soft-ish landing, it's going to be a bit bumpy. It's not a pure soft landing. I think there's still going to be some bumps in the road over the next uh, six to nine months. Our official call is still for a mild contraction in Kin. I would not call it a recession because it's really, you know, I don't think it rises to the level of, of a recession, but I don't think we're completely out of the woods yet. And I would go back to the very first question you asked me, maybe it was the second question, and that is, is this last mile going to be the toughest? And we're not completely through this yet. And the game is not over. So I don't think we can uh, declare victory just yet. And we'll see if there are any shocks like on, on energy prices or whatnot. But I, w- I would say at this point, the odds of a soft landing are actually pretty high. As I said, it's going to be a bit bumpy for a soft landing, but I'm, I'm much more optimistic than it would have been, say, at the start of the year. And a lot of that is because a number of things have gone right and, and the consumer is proven to be, as I said, remarkably resilient in the face of this ferocious rise in interest rates we've seen in the last 18 months. Yeah, I would place pretty low odds on a, a no landing outcome as well. It's, I mean, it's pretty clear that the stickiness we are seeing in services inflation is due to excess demand pressures, which can only be alleviated by some material weakening in demand. So without a lot of luck, the only way of achieving a no landing is probably via a sustained burst of productivity growth that supports the economy and contains inflation. I'm optimistic on the benefits of AI, but these benefits are are likely to be spread out over a lengthy period of time. I think there's a much better chance of a soft landing given uh, recent progress on inflation and those well-known pillars that are adding uh, resilience to the economy, uh, excess household savings, healthy U.S. consumer balance sheets at least, labor hoarding, expansionary fiscal policies, especially in the U.S., and of course, the recent improvement in financial conditions, rising real wages are also a, a recent pillar of support for consumers. So all of that, I think, does point more toward a soft landing. So, Doug, thanks for your insights on the inflation outlook and and prospects for a a soft landing, which will likely be the single most important influence on financial markets and investment performance in the year ahead. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, a podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We are here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information on how you can start investing today, visit bmo.com slash online investing. And be sure to subscribe to this show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.